Hey everybody, how's it going? Good to see no one here on a partially melancholy, partially optimistic Monday morning. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, where we want to continue having you watch me drink coffee on Mondays, because I know that's one thing that our church really looks forward to is um, how does Tyler drink his coffee? And it's just like this, just like you, a, a cup, just like anyone else, you know? Um, but yeah, we're going to continue to work through the uh, F260 Bible reading plan readings for right now. Uh, if you haven't yet taken advantage of that, uh, you should. Uh, it's, it's a really easy way to, especially during this time of not being gathered with our church together. Um, if, if the whole church is reading through the F260 Bible reading plan, um, the wonderful thing is that in texting uh, other members of the church, texting other uh, church family members, you have something in common to talk about as it relates to um, how you are processing scripture in light of what's going on in your life. And so if you haven't enjoyed it, you could look on our website. We've got an article there that posts it. It's also on a lot of the Bible reading apps. I think we're on week 15, maybe. Is that right? I don't know if we're on week 15 or not, um, but it's easy to join in uh, with us. And then kind of what we are doing here is what we're doing on Wednesdays uh, in the larger Bible reading group, but this is just kind of me personally. And what I want this to hopefully model for you guys is just the simplicity of how I do my devotions in the morning. Um, and we're going to do this. The, the three questions we normally do of uh, look up, look, look at God, uh, look in, look at ourselves and look out. How does this change life? And uh, I, I did, I already read this passage. Uh, Sarah and I woke up this morning. We just kind of interacted over it briefly. And uh, she, she thought I was cheating because I got out my study Bible to look at one thing, which isn't something I normally do uh, when I do my devotions because I often don't have time. But there's one thing I wanted to look at in there. But as a whole, this is really raw. I don't have a, this is what I have for my notes right here. Um, and it's just the three categories of look up, look in, look out. Because... I think we need to lift the burden of what devotional time is because so many times we have this picture perfect, like we imagine our devotion to be like um, Paul praying in prison and we're praying so hard and we're meditating on scripture so intensely that the earth shakes and the gates fall open and all the spiritual prisoners are set free. And the truth is um, devotions are just wonderfully ordinary that God has given us to do. We hear God's word. We get to know the God who is set forth to save us. And uh, sometimes there's nothing spectacular in the experience of it, but there's something supernatural in the simplicity of it. And so uh, I'm just going to give us a little rundown of what we looked at in 1 Samuel 1 and 2 today, and then I'll kind of share what I see in this text, um, what stood out to me as I read it. And so 1 Samuel picks up after the book of Ruth. We're progressing through it, and in Ruth we see kind of this, this hint of a line of David a king that's going to come from Israel, but we don't yet see the king. Uh, we see a continued reign of judges here. And so we see the birth of Samuel. Samuel is uh, the long prayed for son of Hannah. Uh, Hannah is the second wife of a man named Elkanah. And the first wife is one who uh, gets all the, the 
privileges is doted on by, or is not doted on by the husband. Actually, the husband loves Hannah. Elkanah loves Hannah, but Hannah can't get pregnant. And so the other wife is constantly shaming and mocking and uh, elevating herself up over Hannah. And she has this immense broken heart we see in this passage. And she weeps bitterly and she goes to the temple and she prays that God will be gracious to her. And we're going to circle back to this um, in a second. And then um, she, that's where we meet Eli, the priest at the time. And uh, Eli thinks she's drunk at first and kind of rebukes her, but then he finds out she was praying and he, he also, in a sense, prays for her. And sure enough, Elkanah and Hannah leave the temple and soon they become pregnant. And Hannah has promised to dedicate if she were to conceive this child to the Lord, which is uh, what Samuel, Samuel means, as it says in verse 20, I have asked for him from the Lord. And so the rest of chapter one includes Hannah taking uh, Samuel up to again to the temple to Eli and dedicating him to the service of the Lord. And then the first half of chapter two includes Hannah's prayer, this kind of prayer of thanksgiving that is really rich. And that's probably where I'll spend most of my reflection time today uh, to the Lord. And then there's this shift. And so there's this contrast. So we, as we read the Bible, we're looking for contrast. And in chapter um, one, it gets bad. It starts bad, starts with brokenness and sorrow, progresses to be good. God is answering prayer. Hannah is rejoicing. And then we're going to see it begins to get bad again. And that's kind of the cycle that we're going to see. Uh, we saw in Judges, we're going to see in First and Second Samuel as well. And then it focuses uh, less on Samuel and more on Eli's family. So here we have Eli the priest and his sons are doing wicked things. Um, we'll talk about those things in a little bit. And in contrast to his sons, uh, Samuel is being brought up in the presence of the Lord. And so uh, what happens is God is going to rebuke Eli and his household. He's actually going to curse it. He's going to remove his blessing from it. Um, but at this point, as we're reading the scripture, this would be something catastrophic if we didn't see that Samuel was there. That here is this priestly line of Israel, um, which is about to have the blessing of God taken from it. There's no king. There's no other judge. There's no direct ruler. What hope is there for God's people? Well, here we have Samuel, this, this child who is dedicated to the Lord, growing up in the presence of the Lord. And because of that, we have hope in the immediate, but also at the end, we see a wonderful promise that we'll look at, a promise that God has spoken to Samuel, that he will bring a priest forever um, to his people. And so that's kind of the scope of First Samuel, and it sets what's going to happen um, really from First Samuel to the end of Second uh, Kings. So first thing we do is we look up. Um, and this is one of those texts where it's sometimes it's easy for us. We just want to focus on Hannah's prayer. It's nice. It's neat. It's simple. It's, it's coffee mug. Uh, it's, it's stuff that's easy to read. Um, but there are other parts of this passage that are harder to read. Uh, there's polygamy in here, which is not affirmed in scripture and is generally the source of a lot of sorrow and trial and heartache for those who engage in it. But then we also see, um, at the end, we see that God is planning to judge. God himself is going to kill Eli's sons because of their wickedness. And we'll talk about that. And in the middle, we see God opening the womb of Hannah. But we also saw that God had closed the womb of Hannah. It was God who kept Hannah from conceiving. But it's also God who was going to make Hannah conceive. And so as we look at this, what we actually see when we look up and we're looking at what this passage teaches us about God, we see God's immense control over all things. And at this point, it's kind of an awkward level of control too, because it says in here, especially in Hannah's prayer, it says he makes poor and he makes rich. 
He makes needy. Um, he makes kings and he makes the those who do not kings. He makes those who are barren and he makes those who have kids. God is in control of all things. It is God who had brought this season into Hannah's life, which caused her a lot of heartache. But it was God who was also going to bring her out. It was God who was in control while Eli's sons were doing wicked things in the office of priest. But it was also God who was going to judge them. It was God who was going to remove his promise from the line of Eli, but it was also God who was going to affirm his promise to bring a priest forever. And so in this text, Hannah's prayer gives us this stunning picture of God, but outside of it, we see this unfolding story where God is still very near and very present. And so too, we can take comfort in our own lives um, that God is always nearer to us than we think. God is, um, even when in this case, uh, Eli's worthless sons, which is how it's titled in the ESV, are emotionally and relationally so distant from God, God is still working in history very near to it. And so even in our sin, um, God is not far from us in working for his glory. And we know that even more for those who are Christians, that God is present to us and God is working for our good. So we see, first of all, what stood out to me is God's control in this, right? And we saw that um, verse six, uh, God had closed her womb. I think it actually says it twice in here. Yeah, verse 5. The Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, God had closed her womb. And then we see later on that it was God who was intending to put the sons of Eli to death. And then we see it was God who opened the womb so that she could conceive. Um, and then we get to Hannah's prayer. And this prayer is a wonderful prayer. And I think the context of it, which we'll talk about when we look in, is really important too. We see a wonderful picture of God. Um, just listen to it. If you uh, Hopefully you had a chance to read it, but if you haven't, uh, listen to Hannah's prayer. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. And I, I thought that was funny because you kind of get the sense that she's talking to Eli here, right? Because when she was praying with a broken heart um, before God, Eli thinks she's drunk and basically rebukes her and says, put away your wine. But here she says, ah, God, don't judge by your knowledge. It is God who weighs the actions. And so you can imagine for Eli sitting in the temple hearing this prayer, um, there's perhaps a bit of shame and misjudging there. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shale and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off by darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them will he thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And so what we see here is, again, um, Hannah is compounding the sovereignty of God. But what I love about this is that the sovereignty of God is not just this doctrine that sits disconnected from our life. Because what actually gives her hope in this is she sees how God makes low and God brings, or God makes high and God brings low, God kills and God brings to life. But at the end of it, she sees that God, God is the one who works for his righteous people. 
at the end we see this hope that we kind of talked about yesterday there's hope the lord will judge the earth but he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed and so while we don't know what god's sovereignty will bring into our life what we do know is it for the righteous and for those who hope in the lord's king and those who long for the lord's anointed we know that we will end up on the right side of history and there's so much we don't know about god and i don't think we'll exhaust that even when we get to heaven there's so much we don't know about what's going on in our life but what we do know is what god has revealed that for his people it is good for us to pursue the lord and belong to his king that's where there's safety amidst all the things we can't control and so this god is a sovereign god but he is a good God to those who worship him. And that's all Hannah has at this point is seeing and trusting in this God. And I'm going to circle back to that in a second. So we see that God is working in all things. We see Hannah's prayer, which shows that God's people are affected by his sovereignty. But then we also see in the end with Eli's sons that, that the seriousness of sin, specifically here we have priests people who are supposed to be helping the jews relate to god and instead they have exalted themselves as god they aren't following the levitical law of waiting for the right moment to get their portion of the sacrifice instead they're going and they're taking the best portion from the people they are literally robbing god of worship and they are domineering over people in one sense in reading this i hear a lot of the pharisees in matthew 7 or in matthew where jesus says um you tie up heavy burdens but you do not lift a finger to help people. These are Phineas and Hophni. They are terrible priests who are exploiting a position that is meant to help people connect to God, and they are actually robbing God. And because of that, God is going to judge them. Just as we saw yesterday, God will judge kings who disobey. Here we see the seriousness of God judging priests who disobey, and the punishment of not taking God seriously is death. And yet there are two things. There's an immediate contrast. There's Eli's sons who are terrible and evil and wicked. But verse 26 says, the boy Samuel continued to grow in both stature and favor with the Lord and also with men. God never let sin fully win. Samuel was there. Eli's sons weren't going to be righteous, but Samuel would be righteous because God was with him. But then ultimately there's this ending here where God says this. He says, um, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind. Where the sons of Phineas did what was according to their heart, God was going to send a priest who would do according to his own heart. And I will build him a sure house, and he will go out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come and implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. And so just as we saw yesterday, the good of the people is tied to the good of the king. Here we see the good of the people is tied to the good of the priest. The priest brings nourishment to God's people. And God was going to promise to nourish people who are hungry, nourish people who are broken through his one day perfect priest. The priest we see in Jesus, who the author of Hebrews says, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We see God's wonderful grace to those in difficult situations, situations of being external, the effects of sin like barrenness, or internal, the brokenness of hearts. God has promised to send a priest to comfort us in those moments. So that's what we see about God in this text. Um, and one thing I love in looking in, well, I'll start with the thing that's more difficult but often overlooked, is we see the severity of sin. Um, the, the difference between 
the sons of Eli and Samuel is not necessarily the parenting, though you could look at that. Um, Eli rebukes, but he rebukes gently, and Hannah's praying for her son, but we don't ultimately have control over our children. And so to just make this, if you parent well, your kids will be great. If you parent poorly, your kids will be pagans. That's God doesn't put that on us. Um, he does give us general principles to help us with that, uh, but God is in control of our kids. But what we see between the sons of Eli and the son of Hannah is the seriousness of which they view God. Samuel is growing up in this seriousness. In fact, the first thing um, that happens when Samuel, le when Hannah leaves Samuel is uh, chapter one, verse 28, and he worshiped the Lord there. The very first thing Samuel did is he worshiped. And in contrast to him, the sons of Eli and Phinehas did not take God seriously. They did not take the sacrifices seriously. They did not take their position to help people seriously. And so us, as Hebrews talks about us, as uh, or as, as uh, Hebrews and First Peter, the priesthood of believers, do we take seriously God and the calling he's given us to care for those who are around us? Or are we robbing from people for our own comfort? And so the severity of sin is, and we see this in kind of the judgment passages in Matthew, if you did not care for other people, then you're not my sheep. And so for us, um, when we look in, do I see that the severity of sin impacts, is going to be judged with how I view God and how I care for others. But the one thing that I really stood out to me, simplest, simply as we look through this, is I love um, Hannah is broken hearted, right? If you read this passage, um, and you see Hannah's brokenness, we see a woman who is just distraught. And there's internal problems, there's external problems, and there's immense brokenness. But she goes to, um, she goes to the temple, and she prays. And at the end, it says, the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So here Hannah comes, and she pours out her heart before God. There's an angry sense of prayer in her too. Um, it says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Like this is not controlled emotion. This is a woman at her ends meet, but she goes and she prays to God. And even as she's praying to God, she is accused of being drunk by a priest. But at the end, what does she do? She goes her own way. She eats and her face is no longer sad. And so her circumstances didn't change. But what changed was the way in which she drew comfort from God. She trusted that God was big enough to take all of her concerns, all of her emotions, and that her job was to take that to God and to leave it there and then to trust him. And I think for me, sometimes it's easy to either not express the sorrow because I don't want to accidentally um, be disrespectful towards God. I don't want to accidentally look like I'm whining about God's sovereignty um, or I go to God with it, and if he doesn't change it in that moment, then I'm upset with him. But here Hannah draws this immense peace, and we see the source of her peace, don't we? The source of her peace is the prayer, right? It's not that God answered Hannah's prayer, and then all of a sudden she understands God's sovereignty. No, God's sovereignty was understood for her in verse 18 when she left with peace, with no external promise that she would conceive. And yet what we see is she was trusting all along. From that moment on, she was distraught, but something happened there at the temple in her interaction with Eli where her countenance changed. And I think it's because Hannah understood this prayer of thanksgiving was already in her heart even before she conceived with Samuel. And so she drew immense hope from knowing that God is in control and that she can trust in this God. And ultimately we can trust in this God because he has sent the faithful king and the anointed priest forever 
And we know that he, that that king, that priest can take care of us in ways that our circumstances never could. And so what a, what a beautiful way to just look at how we process our emotions and our weaknesses before God. And so what does this mean when we look out? Well, I think the, the most immediate thing has this changed when we look out, has this changed the way I view myself as a Christian, as a church member, as a husband, father, friend? Um, I see two things. That's how do I respond um, when things don't go the way I want them to go? And this could be as big as uh, a family wrestling with barrenness. Or this could be as silly as um, me not getting to watch the movie I want to watch that night. Because as silly as those things are, they bring the same um, experience of frustration. And there's a sense where uh, this passage teaches us that we are to respond in a way that expresses faith towards God. That we are to trust in His plan. Um, and I, I think that it's so important to constantly be checking ourselves. I think that this season has brought a good challenge on our hearts where things that we want to go our way are not going our way and it's testing how we're going to respond do we respond with hannah's prayer here do we see the glory of god in making high and making low and bringing life and bringing death and making barren and opening the womb and do we say at the end that he will guard the feet of his faithful ones i hope we can and i hope that's why we get to wrestle with this together and then um one thing is it was convicting for me as a husband, as a pastor, as a father, is just uh, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart only. Her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk strong drink nor wine, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of great anxiety and vexation. And one thing that stood out to me is like, how can I be aware of people who are hurting? There are so many times where I see people responding, um, even people responding poorly to things, and I just look at them as people who don't understand what's going on but I don't necessarily see them as like what uh, Hannah was with great anxiety and vexation. And especially during this time, it's easy to look at people who are responding foolishly and just say, man, you fool, if you only had the hope of the gospel. Um, but what Eli missed is one, he misread the situation. And because we're not God, we always misread situations. And I think we need to respond with the humility that Eli responded with here. Um, but we also can neglect that behind actions are wounds wounds that the gospel speaks to. And if we're not willing to see those wounds and bring that grace of the gospel in it, we might actually present a stumbling block to the gospel. And so there's this sense of, um, do we understand, do we see people as people who are responding sinfully because they're going after desires, desires that their hearts long for, but they're misplaced desires. And they experience, to have the hope of the world, you see how misplaced desires lead us to brokenness time and time again. And so oftentimes the actions of people who are around us um, are actions from people who, who need hope, who need to hear the truth of the gospel. And uh, even with my wife and with my kids in good ways, um, am I aware of whatever their source of anxiety is? Do I misjudge it? Do I think too quickly? Um, or am I willing to stop, to consider, to ask even, to hear it out, right? Here's, here's this pastor, Eli, um, who doesn't ask what's going on. Does 
doesn't move into her situation, but simply just judges it and uh, moves on. But to stop and to consider the weight of vexation and anxiety that Hannah would have had would have served Eli well. And I think it could serve all of us well, because that's how God has called us to consider, to be right um, slow to um slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to consider, right? Philippians 2, consider others' needs as more significant than your own. So that's really it. Um, in looking up, we see the work of God in all things. We see Hannah's prayer that God's sovereignty impacts us. And we see the seriousness of God's desire to have a good priest on his throne. In looking in, we see that um, we can understand God's sovereignty and uh, apart from our circumstances, that because circumstances don't change, we could still find great hope in the God who is ruling and reigning and has promised to bring his faithful priest. We see the severity of sin in our own lives. Are we serious in taking care of, um, are we serious in our understanding of God? Are we serious in our care for others? And then in looking out, we see how do we respond when we don't get what we want? And we also see how do we respond when we see those around us who are hurting? So, that's um, just a quick glimpse into um, 1 Samuel. It's not super in-depth. It's kind of just what I gleaned this morning in our Bible reading. It's things that you can do too, because all we're doing is just looking at the text together um, and kind of putting two and two together. If you'd like to do this more or to see kind of how we could process this together as a group, join our Bible reading group on Wednesday at noon. Uh, there'll be a Google Hangout Meet link that will be posted on social media. I think it's also southhope.com backslash Bible. And so if you just go there, it'll automatically reroute to the meeting link for the week. Um, uh, love you guys. Let me pray for us. And then we can get on with our Monday morning. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that as we sit in a world where people are struggling for questions um, or, or struggling with questions, trying to find answers, um, we don't have to have uh, immediate articulate answers of what God is doing or what the end is. But what we do know is the God who is in control. And so I pray in our own hearts and in our uh, relationships with our coworkers, with our kids, our family, our friends, um, we might just say, there is no one holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Lord, cause our hearts to hope, um, whether we come in barrenness or whether we come in blessing, in the God who is leading us to his anointed king forever. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Have a good Monday.